Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's open our Bibles, please, together to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 is our text this morning. I know that for many of you, this upcoming week marks a new beginning. The new school year starts for many of you. As of Wednesday morning, we will have a high school student in our home for the first time. And if all goes according to plan for the next 12 years, that statement will be true. Some of you are starting new jobs this fall or starting on a new degree. Uh, New beginnings are exciting, but at the same time, sometimes they can be a source of anxiety. The gospel is all about new beginnings, isn't it? One of our favorite Bible verses around here is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Old things have gone, new things have come. As believers in Jesus Christ, we constantly need to remind one another of that essential truth. And that is really what is at the core of the book of Hebrews. Though we're unsure of who the human author is, the recipients are clearly people who have come out of a Jewish background, who have made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And the writer, whomever he may be, stresses upon them the superiority of this new relationship, this new covenant of grace to the old covenant marked by sacrifices and laws. And he's calling these ones who have recently made a profession of faith to persevere in the faith, to not go back to the old way of life. We need to hear that message today, don't we? Over and over again, Christ is best. Christ is superior to anything this world has to offer. So don't quit. Don't go back. Move forward. Press on until your race is complete. So let's read our text this morning with that context in mind. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Now, I'm a simple person, you know that, and if I were to give the simplest of outlines today of these uh, brief verses, it would be this. Get on, hold on, and spur on. And so first, let's look at uh, get on. If one is going to win a race, one has to get on the track. Did you watch the Olympics last couple of weeks? Uh, I enjoyed watching some of the Olympics, and uh, in fact, I found out yesterday that one of our church members participated in the Olympic Games, playing on uh, the baseball team. 
Um, but the Olympic Games really trace their history back thousands of years, and they didn't play baseball, I don't think, in the ancient world. They did have track and field. And probably the, the simplest of events is the 100-meter dash. That is uh, the best athletes in the world running 100 meters as fast as they can go. Someone sent me a viral video, though, of uh, the race, and it had photoshopped in a cameraman who was on the infield. He started at the starting point, and when the gun went off to go, he started running backwards, filming the guys running down the track, and he beat them to the finish line. <laughs> now, even if that were a real video, and it was not, he would not have won the gold medal because he was not a participant. He was not in the race. And what uh, the scripture tells us here is that if we're going to win the race, we have to be a participant. That is, we have to get on. That is, we have to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in verses 19 and 20 and 21, he describes this new relationship, first of all, as, as a, a new family. He says, therefore, verse 19, brothers and sisters. Now, we had a chance to visit family we hadn't seen in a long time last week. And I'm reminded of how good it is to be in a family. But that's what happens when you join a church. You become part of a church family. And so we can rightly call one another brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we enter that family and into a new relationship. He says we are to come with confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now what he's doing here is using an extended metaphor that people coming out of the Jewish faith would have understood. They knew that uh, once a year under the Old Covenant, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which was the inner sanctuary of, of the temple, and he would sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat. But he says that now that we've been born again, now that we've entered into this new relationship, into this new family of faith, we can come with boldness. Now, when the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, he did not enter with boldness. <laughs> He entered with great trepidation. In, in fact, they used to tie bells to his hem of his robe uh, and sometimes would tie a rope around his waist so that if he did anything incorrectly or inappropriately uh, as he was uh, ministering there in the Holy of Holies and the Lord decided to strike him dead, they would hear the bells when he fell and pull him out so they wouldn't have to go in. And so they didn't come with boldness. And yet Christ has made a way that we can enter into the presence of the Lord with boldness. Not because there's any inherent righteousness within us, but because we have received the imputed righteousness of Christ. Because God the Father is perfectly pleased with the righteousness of God the Son, and we are in Christ, we now have a new relationship where we can come with boldness into this holy place. How? He says, by or through the blood of Jesus. Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin, we are holy in the eyes of God. We call that positional righteousness. In the eyes of God, we are holy. Now that is based on salvation through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he says, through the work of Jesus, we also have not only a new relationship, a new covenant, a new family, but also a new priest, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let's approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now those priests, before they would go and, and minister those sacrifices, they had all sorts of 
washings and ceremonial cleansings that they had to go through. But the book of Hebrews says that Christ is better than all of those other priests combined. Now, why is that? Because those priests were sinners, unlike Jesus. And before they could offer sacrifices on behalf of other sinners, they had to have their own sins atoned for. And so they went through all kinds of ritual cleansings and ceremonies before they could even get into position to intercede on behalf of someone else. But the Lord's not like that. The Lord is holy and pure and forever clean. And that makes him a new priest that is superior to any that came before him. So because of these truths, because in Christ we have a new relationship with the Father, a, a new covenant, a new testimony between ourselves and heaven, because we've entered into a new family, because we have a superior new priest, let us approach God, verse 22 says, with a sincere heart, totally devoted to him, with full assurance of faith. And we had a conference here a year or so ago, how to have assurance of salvation. And we have some wonderful preachers here and some wonderful messages. But I noticed that all their messages could be distilled down to one truth. The way you have assurance of faith is to be producing fruit in your life. That really is the only surefire evidence of conversion. It's not walking down an aisle. It's not filling out a card. It's, it's not even being baptized. Is there fruit being produced in your life? He's speaking here, having our hearts sprinkled clean and our bodies washed, that is, by the Holy Spirit, He's speaking here of regeneration. Regeneration is that one-time event in which a person is convicted by the Holy Spirit of their personal sin and guilt after hearing a message about God's righteousness and the judgment to come. That is the gospel message. And Jesus said that it is the Holy Spirit's task to convict us of those things. Sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. But he does that through the means of the proclaimed word of God. And having heard that message and being convicted by the Spirit, that person then confesses their sins and believes on Christ as the substitute for the judgment that they richly deserve. And then God miraculously grants faith and repentance and new life in Christ. We call that the effectual calling. And that, my friends is a new beginning. This is what Jesus meant when he said to Nicodemus in John chapter three, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Then having been born again through faith in Christ, for the rest of our lives, we seek to walk in closeness and intimacy with our savior through sanctification. And that leads us uh, to our second point. First point, get on. You gotta be in the race. You have to be born again. And then second, once you're born again, his command then in verse 23 is to hold on, hold on. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, what does it mean to have a confession of our hope? In Baptist life, we typically call uh, baptism a confession of our faith. But faith and hope are used interchangeably, interchangeably here. Um, our hope is in what we trust. The Apostle Paul, speaking of the death of believers, says we do not weep as those without hope because we are trusting in the promises of God 
that one day the saints of God will be resurrected and we will receive new bodies, then we don't have to weep the way other people weep who have no hope. Now, this is very important. Mark this down. He's not saying here in verse 23 that our salvation is dependent on our ability to be good and hang on. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying get a, get a good grip because it's going to be a bumpy ride and it's up to you to stay attached to God. No, not at all. What he's saying is our regeneration was not dependent on God. Would you agree with that? Our being born again was a miracle of his. And so it's not our endurance that he depends upon. Um, John MacArthur says it this way. We know that we can't lose our salvation because if we could, we would. If it were up to us to stay saved, not one of us would. Because Matt just prayed for us a prayer of confession and we all had nodded our head in agreement that we continue to sin, don't we? Even though we've been born again. And so if we're up to us to stay sinlessly perfect until Jesus came back, none of us would make it. So when we persevere in the faith, it proves that our faith is real. Now we Baptists use the term that I don't know of any other denomination uses. It's called once saved, always saved. And, and that speaks the truth. But the important part is that you're saved. If you're truly saved, you will persevere until the end. Uh, there's a doctrine that's two-sided. The preservation of the saints is God's keeping us attached to him until glory. But there's also the other side, which is that we are to persevere in the faith. And that's found in verse 23 here. Uh, we all know of people who at some point in their life made a profession of faith or hope, but, but sometime later, they walked away from that hope never to return. Now, what are we to make of that? Was there something lacking in the gospel or in God's ability to keep them saved? Well, of course not. What does he say in verse 23? He who promised is faithful. There, there's no lacking in the gospel or, or lacking in God. So, so what are we to make of it? Well, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19 is very helpful at this point um, because in the first century, people were no different than they are today. There were people who made spurious and insincere confessions of faith. And they entered the church, and as hard times came along, they began to abandon the faith, never to return. And the Apostle John says, here's what happened. 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us because they were really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be evident that they are not of us. Now, John got that from the Lord, didn't he? He didn't make that up. One of the Lord Jesus' most famous parables that John was present for, and it's recorded in three of the four gospels we have in the New Testament, is the parable of the soils. And you will remember, Jesus told a story that a sower, a farmer, went out to sow, that he went out to broadcast seed upon the newly tilled ground. And some of the seed fell upon the path, that is hard packed down soil that never even germinated. The birds of the air came and took it away. And some fell upon rocky soil, that is shallow soil. that had a, a, a covering of topsoil that was just a few centimeters deep. And when the roots germinated and it pierced down, it couldn't get to any nutrition, couldn't get into the water. And so it withered in the heat. And some fell upon thorny soil and it sprouted up and it looked good, but 
The cares of the world choked it out and it didn't make it. And then some, he says, fell upon the good soil and it sprang up and it produced fruit. And this is what I say, the way to have assurance of salvation is to observe the fruit that the Lord is producing in your life and in the lives of other Christians around you. So no, he is not saying that it is up to us to stay saved. What he is saying is that if we are saved, the evidence of that is that we will persevere until the end. Fortunately, we are not left to do the best we can until then. Because that's what it sounds like at just a quick reading. Okay, God has saved you, and, and now it's up to you to hold on and, and make it to the end. That's not the case at all. We know that, of what the other parts of the Bible tell us about the Christian experience. We know God has given us some wonderful gifts to help us to persevere, hasn't he? He's given us his word. And in this Bible, God has revealed everything that he wants to reveal about himself. That is, this word is not only true, listen closely, this word is not only true, it is enough. That is, it is not only inerrant, it is sufficient for us to live a life that brings honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Through his word, he reveals his will and his attributes and our future. That's a wonderful gift from the Lord. He's also giving us his indwelling spirit. Scripture says that guides us and leads us to all truth. He helps us to understand the meaning of, of the scripture. He comforts us. He reminds us of our future. And he convicts us of sin. He does that as his word is taught. That's the connection between the spirit and the word. When the word is preached correctly, the Holy Spirit takes that proclaimed message and he convicts us of sin and judgment and righteousness. And he also, thirdly, gives us the gift of a local church. That is, we are attached to one another and our common denominator is not our favorite football team. It's not our race or ethnicity. It's not our education or economic level. What unites First Baptist Church of Keller and every other true local church is a common confession of faith in Jesus Christ. That we are His and He is ours and we are in Him. Listen, God does not save any person to be a spiritual island unto themselves. He gives them this new relationship to God and to other saved people so that we can help one another persevere and produce fruit in this world. That is, we owe this help, this encouragement to one another and every other believer in our congregation owes it to us. That leads us to our, our third point. He says, get on, make sure you're born again, hold on, persevere in the faith, and then spur on. Spur on, verse 24. And, he says, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Spur on. Where did I get that? Well, I read the New American Standard, and it says, let us consider how to encourage one another on. The King James says, let us consider how to provoke one another on. And the NIV says, let us consider how to spur one another on. The editors of the NIV obviously were from Texas. We understand what it means to spur. And it means to provoke, to challenge, to encourage, to, to move forward. And so he's saying, as members of the body of Christ, we owe it to one another to be thoughtful and consistent of not only making progress ourselves in our personal sanctification, but how we can help others in our congregation make sanctification as well. Well, it begins, apparently, with a commitment of presence. He says, not abandoning the assembling of yourselves together. Now, we'd be careful here. We've all heard people say to someone who missed one Sunday, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I even heard people back in the COVID where we had to close down for a few weeks say, we ought not do that because the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I agree that unless we are providentially hindered, we ought to be there to encourage one another with the ministry of presence. You have to remember when these words were written, there were no such things as massive buildings that we call the church today. People met from home to home, the scripture says. What he's saying is, do not walk away from the faith. The evidence that someone has apostatized, which means to walk away from the faith, is that they cease to identify and relate to other Christians. And that's really what he's saying. That, that the, the first evidence that you've been born again is a desire to be around other born again people. And if you forsake the assembling of yourselves, whether that's in a small group or a large congregation, by this, you do it to your own peril and at your own peril. Now, I'm so grateful that in the last 18 months, the Lord has allowed us most Sundays to meet together. But even when we couldn't meet together physically, the Lord made it possible that we could meet together virtually. And for those of you who continue to watch by home, we love you. And when the Lord allows you, you are welcome back here and we want you to come back. But it's not just a ministry of presence. There, there's a commitment, apparently, to encourage every member. He says, one another. Encourage one another to be everything that God has called them to be. We owe that to each other, to encourage and spur one another on their own to two things. He says to love and to good deeds. One follows the other. If you love someone genuinely and sincerely, the natural evidence of that is, is to do right by them, to do good deeds. If we love the Lord, we want to do those good deeds, not to draw attention to ourselves. What did Jesus say about doing good deeds? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give you a plaque. No. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then there's this commitment we make together to, to persevere. He says, do this, that is spur one another on to love and good deeds, all the more, that is intensify your efforts, all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, what day would you guess that would be? I take it to be the last day. I take it to be the Lord's second coming where we have no more opportunities to do good deeds on this earth. And the Bible tells us what to look for. Now, I'm not a prophet or the son of the prophet. 
we're cautioned against setting dates for the Lord's second coming. None of us know the day, the hour, but we're told that there are signs to watch for. Wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence. I did a little experiment yesterday morning. I got up as I did most morning. I turned on the news on, on the internet and I read the headlines. And in the headlines yesterday, here's what I read. An earthquake in Alaska, an earthquake in Haiti. Fires on the West Coast, drought over a third of the country, an epidemic sweeping the world and the possibility of war in Afghanistan. That was yesterday. And if we're wise, we will take note of that and understand that the day is approaching. And so he says, now's not the time to abandon your post. Now's not the time to retreat into Christian isolation. The time to quit is not now. No, now is the time to recommit ourselves to perseverance. And so my invitation, God's invitation for you today, first of all, if you're not saved, is get saved. <laughs> get in the race. If you're not in the race, get in the race. If you're not on board, get on board. You say, well, how can I do that? I'm so glad you asked. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. Salvation is by grace alone. That is, it's a free gift. By faith alone, that is, belief and trust in the promises and the work of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ alone. That is, nothing else you're depending upon. Can't be Christ plus your good deeds, Christ plus baptism, Christ plus the sacraments, Christ plus nothing. That is, you come to him on his terms, as I often say here, with empty hands and outturned pockets, and you pray a prayer of humility and contrition. Lord, have mercy upon me, the sinner. If you'll come that way, he says he will in no wise cast you out. So if you're here today and you've never bowed your knee in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you've been trusting in anything else other than what Christ did in your place, repent of that today. Turn from your sins and confess Christ as Lord and Savior. And then once you're born again, hold on. Begin that process of sanctification. And the best way that I know to hold on is to get in and join a Bible-believing Bible teaching church. Now, I know we have four or five hundred unique views to our sermons every week here. And I know that those, many of them are in other states and some of them in other countries. And so I want to say to you, if you're not within driving distance of First Baptist Keller, you need to find a Bible teaching, Bible believing church where you live and get plugged in there. And if you are within driving distance of First Baptist Church of Keller, we invite you to become part of this church. We are not a perfect church. We are far from it. But we are a group of people who are, have committed together to help one another make progress in sanctification, produce fruit for the glory of Christ, and persevere in the faith until we die or He returns. You need that in your life if you are a Christian. Here at First Baptist Keller, we believe in meaningful church membership. And that begins with our church covenant. We have over 20 new members who are meeting 
in the next hour to go over the church covenant before they become members of this church. And the first two articles of our church covenant have to do with salvation and fellowship. Those two things are inextricably connected. First article, salvation, says we are submitted to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in a life-changing relationship by grace through faith and have professed faith in Him publicly through believers' baptism by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you confess faith in Christ, you've repented of sins, the next step is believers' baptism. That's not my opinion. That's what the Word of God says. Jesus said in Matthew, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The entry point to be a member of First Baptist Keller is through baptism. And then fellowship. Once you have entered to that new relationship, this new family, then it says this on the article of fellowship. We assemble together to regularly worship, to encourage one another, to meet one another's spiritual, physical, and emotional needs as we study the Bible together, to observe the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and to function as the body of Christ in this world. Remember, he doesn't save us to be islands unto ourselves. He gives us the word. He gives us the indwelling spirit, and he gives us other believers in the context of a local church where we can encourage and spur one another on to love and good deeds. Well, you've got those two. You're saved. You're born again. You're in a Bible-believing church. Then spur on. Help others. I know it's possible. We're not the largest church in the area by any means, but this church is large enough that if you want to remain anonymous in an island unto yourself, even in a sea of people, you can. One of the things that we try to do is make it as difficult as possible for that to happen. And so we're going to encourage you and press you to, to, number one, join a Sunday school class. You can't know 2,000 people in any degree of intimacy. You can know 8 or 12 couples, 8 or 12 single people in your Sunday school class. Did you know on our rolls we have several hundred people we've discovered that have never enrolled in a Sunday school class? Now, the Bible doesn't say you have to go to Sunday school. The Bible says to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That is, don't stay aloof from other Christians. And, and the way that our church is set up, the way you stay connected is through the Sunday school model. And so we're having a ministry fair here today. There are 15 or 20 tables out there. Uh, I encourage you to go by and browse those. But the first three tables you're going to see when you go out there says Sunday school. And there are going to be people there that you say, look, I, I want to find a Sunday school class. Just give them your name, and we're going to help you get enrolled in Sunday school. Now, why is that important? Because as we told our teachers and Sunday school directors in our meeting a couple weeks ago, Sunday school is an extension of the shepherding ministry of the church. That is, our pastors can't shepherd 2,000 people the way they need to be shepherded because we don't always know when you get sick. We don't always know when you're having tr trouble in your marriage. But if you're connected to a small group of people in our church, then that communication can take place. Yes, you get fed by the word. That's important, essential. But that's where you form relationships where you can encourage one another on to love and good deeds, and you can be encouraged by others 
to produce that fruit in your own life. And so let me say it one more time. Get in a Sunday school class. There's over 20 adult Sunday school classes. There's graded classes for all of our young people. It is essential that you stay connected in that small group. And then find a place to serve. After you get past the Sunday school enrollment tables out there, then you're going to find many of the ministries that are ongoing in our church. Everything from nursing home ministry to cart drivers, the greeting ministry, women's and men's Bible studies through the week, prayer groups, um, help for young moms. Um, throughout the building, there's these tables. Because all of us are two-sided as Christians. We are all gifted uniquely so that we can be a blessing to others, but we also all need to be blessed through the ministry of others. And so I encourage you to, to yes, spur one another on to good deeds, but if I can say it this way, you need to be spurred on yourself through consistent time in the Word privately, but also corporately in some of these other groups. Commit yourself today to spiritual nourishment, through the corporate setting, through the corporate worship, and through the Sunday school, and through Bible studies during the week. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. We're, we're not Pharisees and legalists. We don't want to be. But the Bible makes it very clear that we need to commit to one another to be here. And so one of the things your Sunday school teachers and directors are going to ask you to do in Sunday school this year is to commit to be in that class unless you are providentially hindered. Now, what does that mean? That means there's something come in your life that makes it impossible for you to be there. Personal sickness or sickness in your family, travel, grief, something of that nature. But you're not going to let trivial matters keep you from assembling together with the body of believers because we need you to be here to encourage all of us, to spur us on to love and good deeds, and you need to be here to be encouraged on to love and good deeds and spiritual fruit. Next Sunday morning is the start of the new church here. Let's start the new year with a new beginning, a new commitment to the Lord and to one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for that uh, I and my family get to be a part of such a wonderful group of people that loves one another, that, that seeks to grow in grace and sanctification, who seeks um, unity, who loves the Word. And Father, we know we're far from perfect. We're, we're works in progress. And yet, Lord, you've designed it that way. You've designed us, Lord, to enter the church as a spiritual infant through regeneration and new birth. But you have not designed us to stay that way. You want us to spur one another on and encourage one another on to growth and maturity and sanctification. And the evidence of regeneration and sanctification, Lord, is, is fruit. Change in our lives. Reproduction. Other believers being added to the body. Father, that's what I pray for as we start a new church here next week. Lord, I pray that every believer would commit themselves to these covenant commitments that we've talked about today. Lord, I pray first and foremost, if there's even one person in the sound of my voice today who's not born again, I pray that your spirit would convict them of their personal sin and guilt 
your perfect holy righteousness and the judgment that is to come for all those who know you not. Father, then I pray you would grant faith and repentance. I pray you'd breathe spiritual life into them through the effectual calling. And then, Father, I pray you'd give them a, a great desire to be around other people. And that begins, Lord, through baptism and then being a part of a local body and exercising their gifts for your glory. Lord, I pray every Christian would find a place of ministry this year. I pray, Lord, that we would not allow recreation and, and trivial matters to keep us away from our duties. And Father, we don't do this out of legalism. We do it out of love. We desire to obey you in every area. Forgive us where we fall short. Use us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.